Section 15 of The Governess, or The Little Female Academy, by Sarah Fielding. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Monday, the eighth day. Early in the morning, after the public prayers, which Mrs. Teacham read every day, our little company took a walk in the garden whilst the breakfast was preparing. The fine weather, the prospects round them, all conspired to increase their pleasure. They looked at one another with delight. Their minds were innocent and satisfied, and therefore every outward object was pleasing in their sight. Miss Jenny Peace said she was sure they were happier than any other society of children whatever, except where the same harmony and love were preserved as were kept up in their minds. For, continued she, I think now, my dear companions, I can answer for you all, that no mischievous, no malicious plots disturb the tranquillity of your thoughts, plots which in the end constantly fall on the head of those who invent them, after all the pains they cost in forming, and endeavouring to execute. Whilst Miss Jenny Peace was talking, Miss Dolly Friendly looked at her very earnestly, she would not interrupt her, but the moment she was silent, Miss Dolly said, My dear Miss Jenny, what is the matter with you? Your eyes are swelled, and you look as if you had been crying. If you have any grief that you keep to yourself, you rob us of the share we have a right to demand in all that belongs to you. No, indeed, answered Miss Jenny. I have nothing that grieves me, though if I had, I should think it increased rather than lessened by your being grieved too but last night after i went upstairs i found amongst my books the play of the funeral or grief a la mode where the faithful and tender behaviour of a good old servant who had long lived in his lord's family with many other passages in the play which i cannot explain unless you knew the whole story made me cry so that i could hardly stop my tears pray miss jenny let us hear this play that had such an effect on you, was the general request, and Miss Jenny readily promised, when they met in their arbor, to read it to them. They eagerly ran to their arbor as soon as school was over, and Miss Jenny performed her promise, and was greatly pleased to find such a sympathy between her companions and herself, for they were, most of them, affected just in the same manner, and with the same parts of the play as had before affected her by the time they had wiped their eyes and were rejoicing at the turn at the end of the play in favour of the characters with which they were most pleased mrs teacham entered the arbour and inquired what they had been reading miss jenny immediately told her adding i hope madam you will not think reading a play an improper amusement for us for i should be very sorry to be guilty myself or cause my companions to be guilty of anything that would meet with your disapprobation Mrs. Teacham answered that she was not at all displeased with her having read a play, as she saw by her fear of offending that her discretion was to be trusted to. Nay, continued this good woman, I like that you should know something of all kinds of writings, where neither morals nor manners are offended, for if you read plays and consider them as you ought, you will neglect and despise what is light and useless, whilst you will imprint on your minds every useful lesson that is to be drawn from them i am very well acquainted with the play you have been reading but that i may see whether you give the proper attention to what you have heard 
I desire, my little girls, that one of you will give me an account of the chief incidents in the play, and tell me the story, just as you would do to one of your companions that had happened to have been absent. Here they all looked upon Miss Jenny Pease as thinking her the most capable of doing what their governess required, but Mrs. Teacham, reading their thoughts in their looks, said, I exclude Miss Jenny in this case, for as the play was of her choosing to read to you, I doubt not, but she is thoroughly enough acquainted with every part of it, and my design was to try the memory and attention of some of the others. They all remained silent, and seemed to wait for a more particular command, before any one would offer at the undertaking, not through any backwardness to comply with Mrs. Teacham's request, but each from a diffidence of herself to perform it. Miss Jenny Pease then said that she had observed a great attention in them all, and she did not doubt but every one was able to give a very good account of what they had heard. But, as Miss Suki Janet is the eldest, I believe, madam, continued she, if you approve it, they will all be very ready to depute her as their speaker. Each smiled at being so relieved by Miss Jenny, and Mrs. Teacham, taking Miss Suki Janet by the hand, said, Come, my dear, throw off all fear and reserve. Imagine me one of your companions, and tell me the story of the play you have been reading. Miss Suki, thus encouraged by her kind governess, without any hesitation, spoke in the following manner. If I understand your commands, madam, by telling the story of the play, you would not have me tell you the acts and scenes as they followed one another, for that I am afraid I can hardly remember, as I have heard it only once, but I must describe the chief people in the play, and the plots and contrivances that are carried on amongst them. Mrs. Teacham nodded her head, and Miss Suki thus proceeded. There is an old Lord Brompton, who had married a young wife, that had lived with him some years, and by her deceitful and cunning ways had prevailed with him to disinherit his only son, Lord Hardy, who was a very sensible, good young man, and to leave him but a shilling. And this Lord Brompton was taken in a fit, so that all the house thought he was dead, and his lady sent for an undertaker, one Mr. Sable, to bury him. But coming out of his fit, when nobody but this Mr. Sable and an old servant, called Trusty, were by, he was prevailed upon by the good old Trusty to feign himself still dead, and the undertaker promises secrecy in order to detect the wickedness of his wife, which old Trusty assured him is very great. And then he carries his lord, where he overhears a discourse between the widow, as she thinks herself, and her maid, Tatalade, and he hears his once beloved wife rejoicing in his supposed death, and in the success of her own arts to deceive him. Then there are two young ladies, Lady Charlotte and Lady Harriet Lovely, to whom this Lord Brompton was guardian, and he had also left them in the care of this wicked woman. And this young Lord Hardy was in love with Lady Charlotte, and Mr. Campley, a very lively young gentleman, his friend, was in love with Lady Harriet, and Lady Brompton locked the two young ladies up, and would not let them be seen by their lovers. But there at last they contrived, by the help of old Trusty, who had their real guardian's consent for it, both to get away, and Lady Harriet married Mr. Campley directly, 
but lady charlotte did not get away so soon and so was not married till the end of the play this mr campley was a very generous man and was newly come to a large fortune and in the beginning of the play he contrives in a very genteel manner to give his friend lord hardy who very much wanted it three hundred pounds but he takes care to let us know that my lord had formerly when he waited his assistance been very kind to him and there at last when lady brumpton finds out that the two young ladies are gone she goes away in a rage to lord hardy's lodgings and in an insulting manner she pays all due legacies as she calls it that is she gives lord hardy the shilling which by her wicked arts was all his father had left him and she was insulting the young ladies and glorying in her wickedness when honest old trusty came in and brought in old lord brumpton whom they imagined to be dead and all but lady brumpton were greatly overjoyed to see him alive but when he taxed her with her falsehood she defied him and said that she had got a deed of gift under his hand which he could not revoke and she would enjoy his fortune in spite of him upon which they all looked sadly vexed till the good old trusty went out and came in again and brought in a man called cabinet who confessed himself the husband to the pretended lady brumpton and that he was married to her half a year before she was married to my lord brumpton but as my lord happened to fall in love with her they agreed to keep their marriage concealed in order that she should marry my lord and cheat him in the manner she had done and the reason that cabinet came to confess all this was that he looked into a closet and saw my lord writing after he thought he was dead and taking it for his ghost was by that means frightened into this confession which he first made in writing to old trusty and therefore could not now deny it they were all rejoiced at this discovery except the late pretended lady brumpton who sneaked away with cabinet her husband and my lord brumpton embraced his son and gave his consent that he should marry lady charlotte and they were all pleased and happy here miss suki ceased and mrs teacham told her she was a very good girl and had remembered a great deal of the play but said she in time with using yourself to this way of repeating what you have read you will come to a better manner and a more regular method of telling your story which you was now so intent upon finishing that you forgot to describe what sort of women those two young ladies were though as to all the rest you have been particular enough indeed madam said miss suki i had forgot that but lady charlotte was a very sensible grave young lady and lady harriet was extremely gay and coquettish but mr campy tells her how much it misbecomes her to be so and she having good sense as well as a good nature is convinced of her folly and likes him so well for his reproof that she consents to marry him mrs teacham addressing herself to them all told them that this was a method she wished they would take with whatever they read for nothing so strongly imprinted anything on the memory as such a repetition and then turning to miss jenny peace she said and now miss jenny i desire you will speak freely what you think is the chief moral to be drawn from the play you have just read miss jenny being thus suddenly asked a question of this nature considered some time before she gave an answer for she was naturally very diffident of her own opinion in anything where she had not been before instructed by some one she thought wiser than herself 
at last with a modest look and a humble voice she said since madam you have commanded me to speak my sentiments freely i think by what happened to each character in this play the author intended to prove what my good mamma first taught me and what you madam since have so strongly confirmed in me namely that folly wickedness and misery all three as constantly dwell together as wisdom virtue and happiness do tis very true answered mrs teacham but this moral does not arise only from the happy turn in favour of the virtuous characters in the conclusion of the play but is strongly inculcated as you see all along in the peace of mind that attends the virtuous even in the midst of oppression and distress while the event is yet doubtful and apparently against them and on the contrary in the confusion of mind which the vicious are tormented with even whilst they falsely imagine themselves triumphant mrs teacham then taking the book out of miss jenny's hands and turning to the passage said how does lady brumpton show us the wretched condition of her own mind when she says how miserable tis to have one one hates always about one and when one can't endure one's own reflections upon some actions who can bear the thoughts of another upon them then with what perturbation of mind does she proceed to wish it was in her power to increase her wickedness without making use enough of her understanding to see that by that means she would but increase her own misery on the other hand what a noble figure does lord hardy make when by this wicked woman's contrivances he thinks himself disinherited of his whole fortune ill-treated and neglected by his father he never had in thought offended he could give an opportunity to a sincere friend who would not flatter him to say no you are my lord the extraordinary man who on the loss of an almost princely fortune can be master of a temper that makes you the envy rather than pity of your more fortunate not more happy friends this is a fine distinction between fortunate and happy and intimates this happiness must dwell in the mind and depends upon no outward accidents fortune indeed is a blessing if properly used which camply shows when by that means he can assist and relieve his worthy friend with what advantage does lady charlotte appear over her sister when the latter is trifling and dancing before the glass and the former says if i am at first so silly as to be a little taken with myself i know it is a fault and take pains to correct it and on lady harriet saying very giddily that it was too soon for her to think at that rate lady charlotte properly adds that they think it too soon to understand themselves will very soon find it too late in how ridiculous a light does lady harriet appear while she is displaying all that foolish coquetry and how different a figure does she make when she has got the better of it my lady brumpton when alarmed with the least noise breaks out into all the convulsive starts natural to conscious guilt ha what noise is that that noise of fighting run i say whither are you going what are you mad will you leave me alone can't you stir what you can't take your message with you whatever it is i suppose you are not in the plot nor you nor that now they're breaking open my house for charlotte not you go see what's the matter i say i have nobody i can trust one minute i think this wench honest and the next false 
whither shall I turn me? This is a picture of the confused, the miserable mind of a close, malicious, cruel, designing woman, as Lady Brompton was, and as Lady Harriet very properly calls her. Honesty and faithfulness shine forth in all their luster, in the good old trusty. We follow him throughout, with anxious wishes for his success, and tears of joy for his tenderness, and when he finds that he is likely to come at the whole truth, and to save his lord from being deceived and betrayed into unjustly ruining his noble son, you may remember that he makes this pious reflection. All that is ours is to be justly bent, and heaven in its own time will bless the event. This is the natural thought that proceeds from innocence and goodness, and surely this state of mind is happiness. I have only pointed out a few passages to show you that though it is the nature of comedy to end happily, and therefore the good characters must be successful in the last act, yet the moral lies deeper, and is to be deduced from a proof throughout this play, that the natural consequence of vice is misery within, even in the midst of an apparent triumph, and the natural consequence of goodness is a calm peace of mind, even in the midst of oppression and distress." I have endeavoured, my little dears, to show you, as clearly as I can, not only what moral is to be drawn from this play, but what is to be sought for in all others, and where that moral is not to be found, the writer will have it to answer for, that he has been guilty of one of the worst evils, namely that he has clothed vice in so beautiful a dress, that instead of deterring, it will allure and draw into its snares the young and tender mind and i am sorry to say that too many of our dramatic performances are of this latter cast which is the reason that wise and prudent parents and governors in general discourage in very young people the reading of plays and though by what i have said if it makes a proper impression i doubt not but you will all have a just abhorrence of such immoral plays instead of being pleased with them should they fall in your way yet i would advise you rather to avoid them and never to read any but such as are approved of and recommended to you by those who have the care of your education here good mrs teacham ceased and left her little scholars to reflect on what she had been saying when miss jenny peace declared for her part that she could feel the truth of her governess's observations for she had rather be the innocent lord hardy though she was to have but that one shilling in the world which was so insolently offered him as his father's last legacy, than be the Lady Brompton, even though she had possessed the fortune she so treacherously endeavoured to obtain. Nay, said Miss Dolly friendly, I had rather have been old trusty, with all the infirmities of age, following my Lord Hardy through the world, had his poverty and distress been ever so great, than have been the malicious Lady Brompton, in the height of her beauty, surrounded by a crowd of lovers and flatterers miss henny fret then declared how glad she was that she had now no malice in her mind though she could not always have said so as she would inform them the history of her past life the description of miss henny fret miss henny fret was turned of nine years old she was very prettily made and remarkably genteel all her features were regular she was not very fair and looked pale her upper lip seemed rather shorter than it should be for it was drawn up in such a manner as to show her upper teeth 
and though this was in some degree natural yet it had been very much increased by her being continually on the fret for every trifling accident that offended her or on every contradiction that was offered to her when you came to examine her face she had not one feature but what was pretty yet from that constant uneasiness which appeared in her countenance it gave you so little pleasure to look at her that she seldom had common justice done her but had generally hitherto passed her for a little insignificant plain girl though her very face was so altered since she was grown good-natured and had got the better of that foolish fretfulness she used to be possessed of that she appeared from her good-humoured smiles quite a different person and with a mild aspect thus began her story the life of miss henny fret i had one brother said miss henny as well as miss jenny peace but my manner of living with him was quite the reverse to that in which she lived with her brother all my praise or blame was to arise from my being better or worse than my brother if i was guilty of any fault it was immediately said no fie miss master george that was my brother's name would not be guilty of such a thing for the world if he was carried abroad and i stayed at home then i was bemoaned over that poor miss henny was left at home and her brother carried abroad and then i was told that i should go abroad one of these days and my brother be left at home so that whenever i went abroad my greatest joy was that he was left at home and i was pleased to see him come out to the coach door with a melancholy air that he could not go too if my brother happened to have any fruit given him and was in a peevish humour and would not give me as much as i desired the servant that attended me was sure to bid me take care when i had anything he wanted not to give him any so that i thought if i did not endeavour to be revenged of him i should show a want of spirit which was of all things what i dreaded most i had a better memory than my brother and whenever i learned anything my comfort was to laugh at him because he could not learn so fast by which means i got a good deal of learning but never minded what i learnt nor took any pains to keep it so that what i was eager to learn one day to show george how much i knew more than he i forgot the next and so i went on learning and forgetting as fast as i learnt and all the pains i took served only to show that i could learn i was so great a favourite that i was never denied anything i asked for but i was very unhappy for the same reason that miss dolly friendly's sister was so and i have often sat down and cried because i did not know what i would have till at last i own i grew so peevish and humoursome that i was always on the fret and harboured in my mind a kind of malice that made me fancy whatever my brother got i lost and in this unhappy condition i lived till i came to school and here i found that other misses wanted to have their humours as well as myself this i could not bear because i had been used to have my own will and never to trouble myself about what others felt for whenever i beat or abused my brother his pain did not make me cry but i believe it was thinking wrong made me guilty of these faults for i didn't find i am ill-natured for now i have been taught to consider that my companions can feel as well as myself i am sorry for their pain and glad when they are pleased 
and would be glad to do anything to oblige them here miss henny ceased and miss jenny peace then told her how glad she was to hear that she had subdued all malice in her mind adding these weeds my dear unless early plucked up are as i have heard our good governess observe upon a like occasion very apt to take such deep root as to choke every good seed around them and then who can tell whether with the same opportunities they might not become lady brumptons before the end of their lives little polly suckling remembered that all the company had told the story of their past lives except herself and she thought she would not be left out but yet she had a mind to be asked to tell it hoping that her companions thought her of consequence enough not to leave her out of any scheme therefore addressing herself to miss jenny she said she thought it was very pleasant to hear anybody tell the history of their own lives miss jenny saw her meaning and answered so it is my little dear and now if you please you shall oblige us with the relating of the history of yours polly smiled at this request and said she was ready to comply the description of miss polly suckling miss polly suckling was just turned of eight years old but so short of her age that few people took her to be above five it was not a dwarfish shortness for she had the most exact proportioned limbs in the world very small bones and was as fat as a little cherub she was extremely fair and her hair quite flaxen her eyes a perfect blue her mouth small and her lips quite plump and red she had the freshness of a milkmaid and when she smiled and laughed she seemed to show an hundred agreeable dimples she was in short the very picture of health and good humour and was the plaything and general favourite of the whole school the life of miss polly suckling now said little polly i will tell you all my whole history i hardly remember anything before i came to school for i was but five years old when i was brought hither all i know is that i don't love quarrelling for i like better to live in peace and quietness but i have been always less than any of my companions ever since i have been here and so i only followed the example of the rest and as i found they contended about everything i did so too besides i have been always in fear that my schoolfellows wanted to impose on me because i was little and so i used to engage in every quarrel rather than be left out as if i was too little to give any assistance but indeed i am very glad now we all agree because i always came by the worst of it and besides it is a great pleasure to me to be loved and every miss is kind and good to me and ready to assist me whenever i ask them and this is all i know of my whole life when little polly ceased she was kissed and applauded by the whole company for the agreeable simplicity of her little history and thus ended the eighth day's amusement end of section fifteen